If you have your Bibles, please turn to, flip to, scroll to, press the book of Isaiah chapter 9. The book of Isaiah chapter 9. If you're wondering where the book of Isaiah is, it's in the first half of your Bible in what's called the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at the book of Isaiah chapter 9 today. Hey, by the way, if you are new to church generally, never been to church before, maybe you're coming in from another faith background or no background at all, and you're just kind of curious, maybe you, know, you went to church a really, really long time ago, maybe when you were a kid, and you're just kind of you know, curious about coming back to church again, we are so thrilled that you're here. And we hope that you find that Thrive Church is a safe place for you, a place where you can be yourself, a place where you can find some hope and some encouragement to help you as you start a brand new week. And if we can be of any encouragement or help to you at all, you can always email us at info at thrivechurch.ca. We'd love to hear from you. A huge welcome to each and every one of you. Teddy, would you turn your name and say, I'm glad to be sitting next to you. Glad to be sitting next to you. Glad to be watching and being part of church with all of you today. Praise God. Well, how many of us know that starting today, all over the world, there are many Christians and churches that are observing a season that's called Advent. And what Advent means, it comes from the Latin word for coming. It's an opportunity for people to prepare their hearts to celebrate Christmas when Jesus came, as well as to anticipate the day when Jesus comes again. Advent is a four-week period leading up to Christmas, and many Christians around the world, they will celebrate this. They will commemorate Advent by putting a circular wreath, uh, you know, made of evergreens, which represents eternal life. They might put it on their door or on their wall. Uh, You know, some Christians will fast, Uh, but one thing that's very, very, uh, you know, perhaps the biggest tradition in Advent is the lighting of candles, and where, uh, you know, where, you know, during the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, as a reminder that Jesus is the light of the world, is that many Christians, they will light one candle each Sunday until Christmas as a symbol for something. In one case, it's symbolizing hope. In another case, it's symbolizing faith. In another case, it's symbolizing joy. In another case, it's symbolizing peace. And then on, the, on Christmas Day, they will often light a fifth candle, often called the Christ candle. And see, for some churches, depending on their history, Advent is a really big deal. Advent is a very formal celebration. Some churches even use Advent as the beginning of their church year. Uh, for other churches, Advent is not something that we really, that, that, that's talked about or really observed or celebrated. And and you know what? Either way is fine because there's nothing in the Bible that specifically requires Christians to observe Advent. Advent is a tradition. It's not something that's required by the Bible. And so you're not sinning by not observing Advent and you're certainly not sinning by observing Advent. It's just a tradition that some churches and some Christians will use to get themselves ready for Christmas. And you'll find that when it comes to Advent traditions, different churches from different backgrounds will observe Advent in different ways. And so we here at Thrive, we're not a very traditional church by any means, but to the extent that certain traditions can sometimes help us renew our appreciation for Jesus, to the extent that certain customs can uh, you know, help us grow in our love for Jesus, we're open to trying things from time to time. And so can I tell you this? We're going to try something that we've never done before here at Thrive Church. Is What we're going to do is we're going to incorporate some elements of Advent into our services these next four Sundays, all as a way to get us ready for Christmas. And so what's going to happen is start today and over the next three Sundays, we're going to do something really simple. We're going to light a candle. And for a few of you, this is going to take you back to your childhood. You're like, oh man, like I haven't done this since I was like, you know, five. You know, for many of you, because many of you, 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 you maybe have, you know, less background in this, you'll be like, well, this is completely new. It's actually kind of new for me as well. But either way, let's keep in mind while we're doing this. We're not doing this to become a more traditional church. That's not our goal. Uh, but our goal in doing this is to remind us of what Christmas is really all about. 
It's about Jesus Christ. And you know, it's an opportunity for us to keep our focus on Jesus in a time which is often very, very busy and even stressful for many people. It's to help keep our celebration of Jesus and his birth fresh. And so we're going to celebrate a little bit of Advent in these next four weeks leading up to Christmas. Does that sound good? Does, is that all right? All right. And so with that in mind, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Raul, Marcy, and their amazing kids as they help us light the first Advent candle, which is often known as the Hope Candle. Thanks so much, Raul and Marcy, for taking it away. family, we are the Mazariegos, and we're going to light this candle as a symbol of hope. Encendemos esta vela como símbolo de esperanza. All right, well, that was... That was Raul and Marcy and their amazing kids helping us light the first candle, which is called the hope candle, sometimes called the prophecy candle. I don't know about you, but I know the light on that candle was a little small, but the light in the fireplace, the, the fireplace, on the, that was huge. <laughs> and it just, it just, maybe for me, it's a reminder that from the youngest to the oldest, uh, you know, when it comes to Raul and Marcy's family, they all shine a big light. And how, no matter how old you are, we're all called to shine a light. Amen. And so with that in mind, that is our first Advent candle, often called the hope candle or even the prophecy candle. That's all part of us getting ourselves ready for Christmas. Next week, we'll have another member of our church family lighting another candle, which will represent something else. This is all part of our ability or our, our, our opportunity to celebrate Christmas together. And as part of this four-week season when we're getting ready for Christmas, today, I want to start with you a brand new series that is called Prepare Him Room. Everyone say Prepare Him Room. That's right. Prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. And what is this talking about? It's talking about how we want to unwrap hope, faith, joy, peace, and love at Christmas. If you could use a little bit more hope, if you could use a little bit more faith, if you use a little bit more joy, a little bit more peace, a little more love in your life right now, or you could know, you know someone who could use one or all of the above, then this message series is for you. We hope you will invite your friends to be part of the series as well. And we're so excited to be unpacking, unwrapping hope, faith, joy, peace, and love at Christmas as a way to really bring out what Christmas is all about. And so with that in mind, since we've lit the hope candle today, today the message I'm here to bring you today is called The Hope That Christmas Brings. The hope that Christmas brings. Turn your name and say, there is hope. There is hope. There is hope. Let me ask you a question today. 
personal question, uh, is on a scale of one to 10, how much do you like going to the dentist? Could you tell me in the chat room right now, like a scale of one to 10, 10 meaning I would go to the dentist every day if I could, or zero being I, 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 I avoid going to the dentist as much as I can. Which one would, was for you? Well, how much do you enjoy going to the dentist? You know, I, I, don't, I don't particularly enjoy going to the dentist, although I love my dentist because I'm actually related to my dentist. But one thing that I really do enjoy whenever I go to the dentist is I love talking to my dental hygienist. She's been in my life for many, many years. Ever since I was a kid, she was doing all the dirty work of, you know, you know, scaling and, you know, like polishing, and you know, like all, all, all the dirty work that she would do. And one of, the, one of the things I find about her, actually two things that I find interesting is that when she would ask me a question with all these tubes in my mouth, she would somehow be able to understand what I was saying. I don't know how they do that. I'm like, oh, you're saying that you had a really tough week? Oh, yeah. And I, I don't know how they know. I don't know how they know that. I don't know how they do that. But, but there's nothing that's really interesting about my dental hygienist is that for some reason, my dental hygienist loves getting ready for Christmas. In fact, do you know when my dental hygienist starts getting ready for Christmas? She starts in the summer. She starts in June and July. She starts her Christmas shopping in June. And she'll kind of gather all her gifts. She's got her list and she'll do all of her Christmas shopping such that by October, she's wrapping. By November, she's done. And so she's just kind of waiting for December 24, December 25 to roll around when she can give out her gifts. Now, you might think that's a little strange. It is very unusual to be getting ready for Christmas six months out. But why do I mention that? Because today we're going to read a passage from the book of Isaiah where 700 years before that first Christmas, someone called Isaiah, he's a prophet, he's getting himself and others ready to celebrate that first Christmas. And so with that in mind, would you help me read Isaiah chapter nine, verse one together with me right now? Read it with a big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Let's stop right there. Today, the message I'm here to share with you is called the hope that Christmas brings. And let me ask you another personal question right now, which is maybe harder to answer than the first one I asked you. This question is this, is do you ever feel hopeless? Do you ever feel like there's no hope? Do you ever feel like deep down while you might put on a smile and let everyone think that you're fine, that deep down sometimes you feel like there is no hope when it comes to your future, when it comes to your life, when it comes to your health, when it comes to your marriage, your relationships, do you ever feel hopeless? You know, here's a little confession from me is that, you know, I I love wearing our Hope Lives Here shirt because we believe hope is not just a feeling. Hope is uh, a person, his name is Jesus. Uh, You know, we often say here at Thrive, the best is yet to come. But, you know, I got to admit this is that one of my struggles 
in life, and this has happened, this has been my struggle since I was maybe a, a kid actually, is that I would have this way of taking on too much <laughs> when it comes to work. And you know, I, that's the thing is I like, to, I like to accomplish stuff. I like to be busy. And sometimes I'll often say yes to things which are maybe beyond my ability to handle at the time. And sometimes I can just basically take more than I can chew. And, and see, there are moments, even this past week, when I look at all the work that I'm supposed to do and think to myself, how am I going to possibly get this all done? And sometimes in a moment of weakness, I'll find myself thinking, man, like it's, it's like, like I, I feel a little bit hopeless. And see, what is that? See, hopelessness comes when you feel like there's no end to a tough situation. Hopelessness comes when you feel like there's no light at the end of the tunnel of whatever it is you're going through. When you feel like there's no end to the busyness that you are going through. When you feel like there's no end to the stress that you're experiencing. When you feel like there's no end to the grief that you're enduring. When you feel like there's no end to the anxiety or the depression that you're battling. When you feel like there's no end in sight when it comes to your situation. That's when we can often feel hopeless. Do you ever feel hopeless? You know, Proverbs 18 says this. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. In other words, when you are waiting for something and you keep on waiting for it and you keep on waiting for it and it still doesn't happen, the Bible calls that almost like having a sick heart where it's not only just your circumstances that don't seem right, but sometimes you don't feel right anymore. You feel almost like you got a sick heart. Do you have a sick heart today? Maybe you've been hoping and waiting for a situation to turn around and like, when is this gonna end? And it's still not happening. And you know, maybe there's a part of you that feels like this hope has been deferred for way too long. And it's not just affecting your circumstances, it's affecting you now. And see, here's the thing, is hopelessness is a tough feeling to have. What do you do when you feel hopeless? You know, if you feel in any way hopeless today, the fact is you're not alone. Turn your name and say, you're not alone. In Isaiah chapter nine, Isaiah is writing about a hopeless situation, or at least a situation that feels very hopeless, is that his people, the nation of Israel, they've been bullied and harassed and attacked over and over and over again by a much more powerful nation called Assyria. And it's just this constant stress, this constant fear, this constant anxiety that they're dealing with. It's a gloomy, dark situation where they don't see any light at the end of the tunnel that they're in. And that is Isaiah basically one to eight. And then we get to Isaiah nine though, the tone changes. Isaiah's tone changes. That he's, not, he's no longer talking about being beaten up. He's talking about being victorious. He's no longer talking about being in darkness. He's talking about being in the light. He's no longer talking about weeping. He's talking about rejoicing. It's like in the middle of what feels like a hopeless situation, Isaiah is talking about hope. And why is that? If in case you don't believe me, let, let me dig a little bit deeper with you. And for this next point, it's really helpful if you have your Bible in front of you. In fact, we encourage you guys to be students of God's word. We love God's word here at Thrive Church. And so we encourage you, don't just read it off the screen, but it's really helpful sometimes to have the Bible actually open in front of you with a pen, because I'm going to ask you to write something down if you got that, if you're able to do that, is this, and if you're able to do it on your phone, that's good too, but here you go, is I want to read Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 and 6, and ask you guys to highlight a few things that Isaiah is talking about here. He's, verses 1 and 2, you know, he's talking about hope. Everyone say hope. It says in verse one, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. If you could, in the margin of your Bible, if you're able to, to, to beside verses one and two, write down this one word, write down hope. 
Verses one and two are all about hope. No more gloom, there's hope. No more darkness, a light has dawned. You're gonna go to verse three and four. Verse three and four, Isaiah is talking about joy. Look at how many times the word joy and rejoicing come up in these couple verses. This is in verse three. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when divide, dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. He's talking about how there was a burden that they had that's been lifted. And as a result, you could have joy. Would you write in the margin of your Bible, if you can, the word joy. Everyone say joy. joy. And then verse five, Isaiah's talking about peace. He's saying, verse five, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. In other words, Isaiah's saying there's no more need to try to be in battle anymore. There's no need to fight so much anymore. Now there's peace. And see what's going on in a hopeless situation, what feels like a hopeless situation, in a time when Isaiah and his people feel nothing but fear and worry and anxiety and hopelessness, all of a sudden, Isaiah is talking about how they can have hope, joy, and peace. And the question is why? It's because of verse six. Read verse six. It says, for to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, Jesus is this son who's to be given, this child that's to be born. And Jesus is the reason why Isaiah is saying, in the midst of your hopelessness, you can still have hope. This is 700 years before Jesus will be born. Isaiah is already celebrating the birth of Jesus. Now in theological terms, this is what is called the incarnation. The incarnation, not reincarnation, but incarnation. See, here at Thrive, we don't believe in reincarnation. We don't believe that, you know, after you die, you may become a, bu a butterfly. And after you become a butterfly and you die, you become a rat. And after you become a rat and you die, you become something else. We don't believe in that endless cycle of, you know, death and like, life and death and life and death again into different forms. But we do believe in the incarnation. What's the incarnation? Let me just kind of describe it to you this way. Is the incarnation is the idea that God took on human flesh in the form of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. It's, it's, some people call that the incarnation or the hypostatic union. The idea that the human and the divine came together in a very unique point in history in the form and the person of Jesus Christ. It's the idea that Jesus, he is fully human and fully God at the same time. See, Jesus, he's fully human. Is that he was born into this world, a human being, a, a human baby. He grew up like any ordinary child. He has the same physiological needs as any one of us. He hungered, he thirsted, he got tired, he rested, he slept. You know, he experienced the same range of emotions that you and I experience as human beings. He had joy. He had sorrow. He had anger. He had compassion. He died a real physical death. And the only difference is that Jesus was without sin. Whereas you and I, we sin all the time. We'll get into what that means because Jesus is not just fully human. He's fully God. He didn't sin. And that's the other part of Jesus' nature is that Jesus is not just fully human. Jesus is also fully God. Is that Jesus, he claimed over and over again in different ways throughout his life, throughout his public ministry, that this is not just a human being you're talking to. You're also talking to God. He's saying, you know, before Abraham was, I am. Abraham lived thousands of years before Jesus and saying before Abraham existed, I existed. Over and over, Jesus would make these claims, these crazy claims that he is God. And when that happens, when someone comes up to you and says, hey, I'm God, there's only three options there. Either they're crazy 
or they're lying or they're telling the truth. And to prove that you could take Jesus' words seriously, Jesus didn't just say a bunch of things and die, but he did a number of things to show that this is no ordinary human being we're talking about. This is someone who's got command over nature, who can raise the dead, who can heal the sick, who can walk on water. This is someone who can fulfill all the prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament. This is someone who wasn't born in the most natural, it was a supernatural virgin birth. And probably most of all, most importantly, is that not only did Jesus die, but he rose again from the grave to show that you can trust what Jesus says. And see, all the New Testament writers, they speak about Jesus as God, not just as a good human being, not just as a good teacher, but as God. And you got to ask yourself, is this true or not? Is this, are these people crazy? Are they lying? Or are they telling the truth? That's the incarnation. It's the idea that Jesus is fully human, fully God. It's that God came in human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given and he will be called mighty God. This child is God. And see, Isaiah, he's saying this. And what does this have to do with us? See, he's telling people of his time, like 700 BC, he's telling them, because of this, you can have hope. Because of this, you don't have to be hopeless. And what does that have to do with your situation? And maybe now it's like, you know, 2,700 years later, we're reading the same passage. What does the birth of Jesus have anything to do with our situation? How can it give us hope? I want to end by talking about that today. How does the birth of Jesus give us hope. See, I'm going to give you two reasons how the birth of Jesus, how Christmas gives us hope. Number one, you can write this down. Because Jesus was born, we can know that God loves us and he is here to help us. Because Jesus Christ was born, we can know that God loves us and he's here to help us. Let me explain the message of Christmas to you in perhaps a way you've never heard before. You're probably not going to see this on a Christmas card. You're probably not going to see this on some kind of you know, special program, uh, you know, Justin Bieber's Christmas special. You're probably not going to see this, right? But th- let, me, let me just show you the, the Christmas message in a way that you've maybe never seen before. I want you to imagine two mountain cliffs. All right, I want you to imagine two mountain cliffs, one on one side, another on the other side. I want you to imagine that God is on this side. I want you to imagine that you and I, we are here. And God on one side, people on the other. And the Bible says that God is perfect, we are not. God is holy, we are not. And because of that, there is this gap. I know it doesn't look infinite, but there is an infinite gap between us and God. And that is called sin. What is sin? Sin is every time you and I do anything that is not God's way. Anytime we think an evil thought, anytime we hate, anytime we act selfishly, anytime we say a hurtful word, anytime we're, ang- we're angry for no reason, you know, every time we're bitter and we're unforgiving, anytime you know, we gossip, anytime we do these things or think these things, those are things that the Bible calls sin. And the Bible says that sin separates us from God such that we can't have anything to do with God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, such that no matter how good you try to be, no matter how good you think you are, you and I, we can never be good like God. God is good and such we can't such we can't be with God but see the amazing thing about Christmas is that because God loves us because he doesn't want to be apart from us because he doesn't want to be away from us for eternity God sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins but before he did that he lived among us as a human being it's the incarnation God in the flesh dwelling among us and what he did he lived the perfect life that only God could live and what he did he met all of God's requirements and then he didn't end 
ended up dying on the cross for our sins. And see, Jesus, through his death on the cross, made forgiveness for our sins possible. And Jesus, he not only died, but he rose again from the grave to show that he is not just a human being, he is God. And as a result, when we place our trust in Jesus Christ, we have a bridge back to God. We have a way back to God. It wasn't a way that we created through our good works. It's not a way that we made up because of our resume, but it's a, a way that God made. God made a way when we didn't have a way. And see, that is the message of Christmas, is that God loves us and he's here to help us in a, in a hopeless situation where we had no way of reaching God. God came and reached for us. That is the message of Christmas. And, and see, that is why, if you understand why the incarnation is so important, that is why Jesus being fully human and fully God is so important because only one who could touch both sides could be a bridge, right? If, if, you, if, if Jesus, for example, was, was, he was, he was God, but he wasn't fully man, then what does that mean? It means that he can't identify with us. He can't really represent us. And he certainly can't take our place on the cross. If he is God, then he couldn't do any of those things. And, and, if, and the flip side is all true. If, if Jesus was only a man, but he wasn't God, what that means is he's like any other individual who points people to God, but can't save them. And see, Jesus, he is fully man and he's fully God. That's the incarnation. And that's why he is the perfect bridge, the perfect mediator between us and God because he's fully God and fully man. Amen. Amen. See, that is called the incarnation. Everyone say the incarnation. incarnation. And that is what we celebrate at Christmas. It's the incarnation. The day that Jesus came, it was God in the flesh. It was God reaching people. And see, if Jesus solved our two biggest problems in life, if he solved your sin at the cross and he conquered death at his resurrection, then how will he not help you with the smaller issue that's going on in your life today? You see, God loves you and he's here to help you. That problem at work, that uncertainty in your future, that grief that you're dealing with right now, that sickness that you or your loved one is battling, that worry that's in your heart, you can surrender all those issues to Jesus because Jesus isn't just a friend who cares. He is the mighty God who can help. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he will be called mighty God. And see, have you ever felt powerless in a situation? Have you ever felt like, you know, you're talking to someone who's talking about their problem and your heart goes out to them, but you can't, you feel like you can't do anything to help them? Has that ever happened before? Even worse, have you ever been in this situation where you're talking to someone and you're in a situation where you think they can help, but they don't want to help? And see, it's, it's one thing to care and be powerless. It's another thing to be powerful, but not care. Jesus is not like that. Jesus is not just a friend who cares. Jesus is the mighty God who saves. He's the mighty God who's here to help. Turn to him and say, God is here to help. God is here to help. See, God is willing and able and ready to help us. That is why we have Christmas. You know, I, I can just share this story real quick with you is that, you know, many, 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 many years ago, um, when my parents were expecting me uh, as, a, you know, their, their firstborn, they received news. In fact, it was my dad. My, he actually didn't tell my mom, but my, my dad received news from the doctor saying, uh, in the middle of this pregnancy, he's saying, they, he, they took him aside and they said, you know, uh, we're really sorry, Mr. Lim, but um, you're, you, there, there's something um, kind of complicated with this pregnancy, which is that this baby is not growing. 
this baby, for some reason, is just kind of staying this way and it's not growing. We're very concerned because we believe that these may be very real signs that this baby will not come out perfectly healthy. He'll probably have a disability, uh, either mental or physical. We don't know exactly yet. All we can do is wait and see, but we just want to prepare you for that and just let you know that this is a very, very likely chance that this is going to happen. And my dad, for some reason, didn't tell my mom. <laughs> I don't know if you're allowed to do that nowadays, but he didn't tell my mom because he was just so concerned that she would be worried sick and that would be bad for the pregnancy. And so he just kept it to himself. And, you know, he would be in church and he'd just be, you know, in his heart, just believing God, I just believe that somehow you'll make a way. God has to believe that somehow it's going to be okay. And, you know, nine months, or no, no, no many months later, you know, when, when the time came for this baby to be born, they looked at the baby and they're like, oh my goodness, he's perfectly healthy. And, you know, God, and my, my dad, he often looks back at, at, one of the, at, 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 at that time as with God, all things are possible. That with God, nothing is hopeless. That there's always a greater thing that God can do. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Turn your and say, because of Jesus, there is hope. Because of Jesus, there is hope. That's the first reason why we can have hope at Christmas. Because Jesus Christ was born, we can know that God loves us and is here to help us. Turn around and say, God is here to help you. Reason number two, we can have hope at Christmas. Because, at Christmas. because Jesus was born, we can know that God is writing a greater story with our lives than what we could write ourselves. You know, when Isaiah wrote chapter nine, what this passage we just read, you know what he was doing? He was pointing people forward to the day that a, a savior will be born. He was pointing people forward to a part of their story that they weren't focused on. They were focused on the here and now. They were focused on the, the stress they're going through. They were focused on the bullying that they're experiencing. They were focused on the, 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 the uncertainty that they're going through. And, and Isaiah through chapter nine is pointing people forward to a different part of the story, a part where God works all things out for good, where he's saying basically to the people of Israel at that time in chapter nine, he's basically saying, hey, I know it feels hopeless right now, but God is not done with your story. The best is is yet to come. And the same goes for you and for me. Christmas is a reminder that you could be in the most hopeless place in life right now, but God is not done with your story. That God is still writing a greater story than anything you and I could write ourselves. You know, let me share this story with you. Is that once there was uh, a boy called Dax and Dax, uh, his mom and, and dad, they just were absolutely in love with their firstborn child. And, you know, they, you know, you know, they, they, they were just like, we're, we're, we're the luckiest parents in the world. We're so blessed to have him. And it was one of those things where when Dax was about six months old, he started to suffer from, from colds and ear infections that kind of took his parents by surprise. And they didn't really know why he was suffering from these colds and ear infections. They took him to the hospital and they had Dax checked out. And they were shocked to find out from the doctors that Dax, at just a few months old, had a rare and severe form of leukemia called AML. And for the next year, Dax spent most of his time in the hospital. In fact, he took his first steps plugged to an IV. And he, he went through a first round of chemotherapy, but the cancer remained. He went through a bone marrow transplant, but the cancer remained. He went through a radiation treatment, but the cancer didn't go away. He went through another bone marrow transplant, but the cancer still remained. And when the cancer kept returning after so many different rounds of treatment, the doctors finally told Dax's parents that, you know, I'm sorry, we don't think Dax is going to make it to Christmas. And so two months before Christmas, early in October, Dax's parents, they took Dax out of the hospital and they let him live his final weeks as happily as he could. 
And the parents, they thought, you know, if Dax can't make it to Christmas, we're going to bring Christmas to Dax. And so what they did is in the middle of October, they put up their Christmas tree. They put up lights on their house. And one time, you know, the dad is putting up lights outside the house. And one of his neighbors is like, hey, what are you doing? It's like, you're putting up Christmas lights? It's October. And he's like, well, and he explained the situation. And his neighbor was so touched that he said, you know, I'm going to put up Christmas lights too. And in fact, over time, as more and more people got to hear about Dax's story, they would put up Christmas lights too. And they would put up the Christmas, they, they, it's, it's almost like the whole town started to celebrate Christmas two months early. And you know, uh, it, it turned out the amazing thing was that Dax not only got to celebrate Christmas in October, but he actually got to make it to Christmas in December that year. And instead of one Christmas, he got two Christmases. And on December 29, 2009, at the age of two and a half years old, Dax passed away. You know, what, what is, uh, you might be asking, you know, God, God how, how could you let something like that happen? I thought, you, I thought you love us. I thought you're here to help. If God is willing and able and ready to help us, why didn't he heal Dax? Why, why did he heal me, but he didn't heal Dax? And see, here's the thing. We can't assume to know all the reasons why God allows what he does, whether it's suffering or healing. God is God and we are not. And so much of what happens here in life, we're not gonna fully understand until we're on the other side of eternity. But one thing we know from the Bible is that in a world that is broken by sin, where sickness and death are real things, God responds to our suffering in a number of ways. The first is this, because God loves us, God stepped into our suffering and shared it with us. In fact, that's why we have the cross. Is that, is that this is not just God turning a blind eye to our suffering, going, yo, I don't care. I'm just like the guy who winds up the clock and lets it go. No, because God loves us. And he, God wanted to spare us from the greatest kind of suffering, which is being apart from him for eternity. God sent Jesus Christ to suffer it in ways that we will never have to suffer, not just physically, but spiritually and in every kind of way. See, that's Jesus suffering in our place. God stepping into our suffering. He's a God who suffers with us and for us. And another thing is, how, how does God respond to our suffering? God actually uses our suffering to refine us, to remind us that you know, this life on earth, however many years you have, whether it's just a few or it's many, many decades, that this life on earth is not all there is. That this life on earth is just a, a small percentage, a small fraction of the amount of time that you're gonna have in eternity. Here, you know, they, they say you're lucky if you've got 90 years on this earth. But the fact is this, 90 years on this earth is nothing compared to the billions and billions and billions of years you're gonna have in eternity. And, and, and so for God, his focus, his main focus is not in this beginning part. His actual main focus is on eternity. And, and sometimes I believe that sometimes God will allow us to go through tough stuff now so that we can be happy and healthy with him in heaven. Because how many know that if you had everything go your way, if you were always healthy, your loved ones are always healthy, nothing ever went wrong, you'd be like, this is heaven and I don't need God. Right? But if, that, if, that, if everything went well that way, that's how you would think. That's how I would think as well. But could it be that God allows suffering? Not because he loves, he loves to see us suffer. No, he loves you. He loves me. But the fact is that he allows tough times in part because he's going to use it. He's going to use it to refine us. He's going to use it to remind us that it's not all about this life on earth, but eternity is waiting for you and for me. And see, you know, in fact, Acts chapter 17, 26 and 27 says it this way. He says, he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that people would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. Turn to him and say, God is reaching for you. 
God is reaching for you. See, God, he loves us, and so he steps into our suffering through Jesus Christ. God loves us, and so he uses even our suffering, even the stuff that he didn't intend for you to go through. No, God doesn't love sickness. He doesn't love bullying. He doesn't love harassment. He doesn't love you know, injustice. But he, in a world broken by sin, these things happen, and he says, I'm going to use it somehow. And one of the ways he uses it is he uses it in the third way, which is he used it to write a greater story. And see, God promises that everything we go through in life, even the hardest things, even the unexpected things, even the disappointing things, even the things where we wished it never happened, he will use even those things to write a greater story. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You know, a great example of this is Dax's mom, Julie. See, when Dax passed away, there was a deep, deep grief and emptiness in Julie's life. You can just imagine, Julie had spent two and a half, three years caring for this little boy. And this was her life. This is all she did. This is all she knew. Her identity, her heart was all wrapped up in this. And when Dax passed away, she fell into this deep grief and depression. But through Dax's sickness, Julie actually got to meet people at the hospital who were parents of kids going through very similar things and who went through very similar losses. And, and Julie, she meets people who are Christians in this hospital who are going through very similar situations. And she's just struck by the amount of peace that they have, the amount of hope that they have, the amount of strength that they have in the midst of their struggles. And eventually these Christian friends, and they became really good friends. And they, they, they loved on her, cared for her during this time. And they eventually shared about Jesus with her, how Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that we could be with God. That you know, God was reaching for us long before we ever thought about reaching for him. And, so, and at the end of that process, about three years, Julie prayed a prayer to receive Jesus Christ into her life. And you know, in fact, on the day that she received Jesus into her life, she wrote this in her journal. She said, God has a much bigger plan for me. Today, I'm thankful that I get to live with Dax for all eternity. I know he's rejoicing in heaven and I can't wait for another dance with my sweet little boy. You know, Julie, she would go on to start a foundation called the Dax Foundation. And every year, the Dax Foundation is about raising money to help support kids who are battling pediatric cancer, to support families who are going through it with their kids. And as part of the Dax Foundation, they actually have something called Camp Hope. And Camp Hope is where, you know, children who are battling cancer have a chance to laugh and to play and to be silly away from the hospital setting, still in a medically safe and secure environment, but where they can learn a new craft, they can ride a horse, they can do a zip line, you know, they can you know, go swimming, they can fish, they can go on a boat. And see, Camp Hope is all about creating a safe place for kids and their parents to share their experiences, to express their emotions, and to hear from other campers as to how they get through and overcome the stuff that they're going through. And see, all of this was possible because Julie not only went through incredible suffering, but she found Jesus at the end of that suffering. And see, through the suffering that Julie experienced, God was writing a greater story with her life. In fact, uh, you know, Julie, she posted on her Facebook once, she said, five years ago today, I gave my life to Christ. I prayed the prayer of salvation with this amazing couple and dove into learning about who my God is. It changes everything. And see, just a few weeks ago, Julie also posted about her daughter, and this would be her second child. This would be Dax's younger sister, who's now, I don't know, maybe about 10 years old now. And uh, the, the post was of Julie's daughter's baptism and sharing how you know, her mom introduced her to Jesus and how because of Jesus, I have a hope that's bigger than the grave. And see, what happened is that in her deepest despair, in her grief, in her depression, in her hopelessness, Julie found hope in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're going through a really tough situation right now that feels 
hopeless. Maybe your marriage feels hopeless. Maybe your future feels hopeless. Maybe your health or your health of someone you love feels hopeless right now. I'm here to let you know you are not alone. God is writing a greater story with your life. We are not God. We can't predict everything that God will do, but God is writing a greater story. And that's the second reason Christmas brings us hope. It's because Jesus was born, we can know that God is writing a greater story. More than anything we could write ourselves. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, God is writing a greater story. So since we're talking about hope today and the hope that Christmas brings, let me just end by asking this question. How do we experience the hope that Christmas brings? Let me end by saying this. Few things you can do if you want to experience more hope in your life this coming Christmas. Number one, remember that God loves you and he's writing a greater story. Hope comes when we realize that God is our help. And when God is our help, then we have everything we need. Hope comes when we have God in our lives. Number two, receive Jesus' love and forgiveness. See, the whole point of Jesus coming, living, dying, rising is so that you and I could know God personally, have a relationship with God and have a hope that's not rooted in our own abilities and our own strength, but it's rooted in who God is. It's rooted not in us, but in the one who is mighty God. And in just a minute, I'll give you an opportunity to do just that, to receive God's love and forgiveness. If you're not really sure how, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. It's as simple as praying a prayer that we're going to lead you in, in just a minute. Number three, if you want to experience the hope that Christmas brings, practice humility. Practice humility. Look at Isaiah chapter nine, verse one with me. Get ready to underline a couple of things. It says, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled. Would you underline that? He humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor. Could you underline that? Honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. See, these cities, these towns, these areas that Isaiah is talking about are all the same thing. He's all talking about the same thing. He's talking about Northern Israel. He's saying he will humble Northern Israel and then he will honor Northern Israel. See, what is that? What's the lesson there? Is that in the story that God is writing with your life, humility comes before honor. If you want hope, you start by being humble. And see, Proverbs 18, 12 says it this way. It says, before his downfall, a man's, heart, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. See, if you want to experience the hope that Christmas brings, it's about practicing humility. A lot of people misunderstand what humility is. Humility, a lot of people think is, oh, it's being weak, it's being timid, it's being fearful, it's, being, it's like looking down on myself and putting myself down all the time. That's being humble. No, that's not humility. Humility is being secure in who you are, so much so that you can put others ahead of yourself. Humility is being so secure in who you are and realizing that I'm not God, I'm just me. And so I'm not gonna insist on being treated like God. I'm not insist that I be like God where everything always goes my way. I'm gonna be humble. And when you have humility in your life, you have hope in your life. See, how can you practice humility this coming week? Maybe it's when it comes to your relationships. Maybe it's about just not being so arrogant. Maybe being a, big, a, a better listener. So not, not assume that you already know what the person's gonna say, but you actually sit and you listen to what they have to say. You know, maybe it's being quick to apologize and slow to criticize. That when you make a mistake, uh, you, you say, hey, my bad, I'm sorry. And you apologize for it. And when you see other people maybe making a mistake, you're not so quick to cast judgment on them. You're gentle knowing that everyone is battling something. You know, maybe humility for you is gonna look like, you know, this is that you know, admit to God where you struggle and you ask him for help. 
Say, God, I struggle in this area. I struggle in this area of lust. I struggle in this area of worry. I struggle in this area of pride. Would you help me? Would you help me? See, God, he loves to show his power through our weakness. And sometimes in order to see God's power, we first need to, to understand our weakness. And it's, it's about allowing God room to work his power in and through the times when we're weak. Another one is this about how to be humble, be willing to do things God's way and not our way. That rather than insisting that everything be done your way, you're not God, I'm not God. So rather than insist that everything be just as we say all the time, maybe so learning that maybe God has a different way. Maybe God has a different timing. Maybe God has a different plan and saying, God, I'm willing to do it your way and not my way. That's all about being humble. Turn to me and say, I need to be humble. First Peter chapter five, verse five and six says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. When we humble ourselves before God, he will lift us up. Humility comes before honor. Humility comes before hope. And so if you want to experience the hope that Christmas brings, be someone who practices humility. Finally, if you want to experience the hope that Christmas brings, number four, share hope with other people. See, in the story that God is writing with your life, you were made not just to be blessed, you were made to be a blessing. Proverbs eleven twenty five says it this way. It says, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And last week, in the wake of the floods and landslides that wreaked havoc across different parts of BC, our province, we said that we would uh, you know, give a portion of our offerings toward helping people who need relief and medical aid and attention and food and shelter. And so we've partnered with the United Way for that. And so just as a simple, small way to give hope, praise God, I'm here to announce that we're here to donate $1,000 to the United Way to help with flood relief during this time. Can we give God a big hand for that? Praise God for that. Praise God. Thank you all so much for your generosity. Thank you so much for giving. Your giving makes such a difference. And see, that's one way that we're going to try to hopefully spread some hope this Christmas. But what's another way? What's another way that you can spread hope to people this Christmas? Maybe it's to reach out to someone who doesn't have family here at Christmas time. Maybe it's to reach out to someone who never really has someone to talk to at lunchtime. Maybe it's about you know, reaching out to someone that you haven't reached out to in a long time and saying, hey, how's it going? Here's another way you can reach out to people and share hope with people. You can invite people to our Christmas service. It's happening on December 19th. And you know, we're gonna be talking about the peace of God. If you know someone who's really worried these days, who could really use some more peace in their life, especially at Christmas time, we encourage you to invite them to our December 19 Christmas service. It's going to be phenomenal. You don't wanna miss it. But see, today we've been learning about the hope that Christmas brings. We learned that two reasons why you can have hope at Christmas is that because Jesus was born, you can know that God loves you and is here to help you. And that because Jesus was born, you can know that God is writing a greater story with your life than anything you and I could write ourselves. And if you want to experience God's hope in your life, it's about what more than, more than anything else, it's about being humble. And if you are here and you want to experience more of God's hope, and maybe you're here and this is like your first time in church and you don't really know kind of well, what's my next step, what do I do with all this now? I want to encourage you to take this next step with us. Maybe you've been to church before, but you've never taken this step. I want to encourage you to take a humble step. And that humble step is to say, God, I need you. And God, I thank you 
for sending Jesus Christ for me. It's about receiving God's love and forgiveness. And you know, it's one thing to hear about it, but it's nothing to receive it. This moment could very well be yours. Is that if you've never opened up your heart to receive the forgiveness that Jesus died on the cross to make possible, then I wanna encourage you to, to take a moment right now to do just that. And just so that you're not doing this alone, I'm gonna do this with you. And it's really simple. Uh, just so you have something to read, because sometimes I find having something to read is, is helpful. Um, why don't you click the link that's in your chat room right now, or you can scan the QR code that's on your screen. It's gonna take you to a little page with a prayer on it, a very short, simple prayer that you can pray to ask Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and to receive his love in your life. And just so you're not doing this on your own, because definitely you're not alone. I'm gonna do this with you as well. I'm gonna invite you to pray this prayer with me. And in fact, if you've prayed this prayer before, I encourage you to pray it with those who are praying for the first time. This is a way to support them as they take this humble step of faith today. Are you ready? And see, it's, it's, all, it's not so much the, the words that you say, but the attitude of your heart. But if you're here and you wanna to come to God with a humble heart, and you realize today that this message was for you, that you need Jesus' love and forgiveness in your life, then why don't you pray this prayer with me right now? You can say this, say, dear Jesus, Thank you, Thank you that because you love me, you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart and I ask you, please forgive me of all my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust not in what I do, but in what you've done for me. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Yeah. Hey, if you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer, then according to the Bible, you are forgiven of your sins. You're a child of God. You're a citizen of heaven. You have a new relationship with God, not based on what you do, but based on what Jesus Christ has done for you. Can we give all of those who prayed that prayer just now a big hand just now and just congratulate them today? Oh, there's more than that, church. Come on, give God all your praise. Let's give our friends an encouragement today. And uh, just to let you know, just a couple things. If you prayed that prayer, then a couple things I encourage you to do. Keep coming to church. Every baby needs a family to grow up and we'd love to be your spiritual family. On top of that, we in invite you to get baptized. Baptism is not a graduation. Baptism is a beginning. It's a simple way to say, I know I'm a sinner who needs a savior and I thank Jesus for being my savior. And if that's you, if you've never taken that step to get baptized, I encourage you to go to mythrod.info, press the baptism button. We'd love to help you get baptized. We just had an amazing baptism Sunday last Sunday and we'd love to help you with your baptism Sunday. Uh, and uh, so praise God for that. On top of that, we've got some gifts to give to you to encourage you in this new relationship with God. Just go back to the bottom of that page with the prayer that you prayed on it and it'll take you right there. Praise God. What an amazing Sunday it's been. What a way to start our new series called Prepare Him Room. Let's do that right now. Let's prepare room for God. Hello everyone. Welcome to Thrive Church. We're so glad that you're here and I hope you've enjoyed your time with us today. My name is Marizal. Before we finish the service today, please let me spend a few minutes to go through some announcements with you and what's coming up here at Thrive. If this is your first time visiting us, we would love to connect with you. We want to give you a Thrive stainless steel water bottle to thank you for spending your time with us at Thrive today. Simply visit mythrive.info and click New to Thrive or text NEW to 604-285-5770. We will mail the water bottle straight to your mailing address. We're so excited for those of you who prayed the prayer with Pastor JB earlier to receive Jesus today. 
We understand you might still have questions, so we want to send you a series of videos recorded by Pastor JB and Pastor Charlene that may answer some of your questions about Christianity. Other than the videos, we also have a beautiful Thrive mug and a Starbucks e-gift card just for you. So if you've received Jesus today, let us know by texting BELIEVE to 604-285-5770 or by visiting mythrive.info and click I want to ask Jesus into my life. There's a simple form for you to fill out at the bottom of the page. Please fill it out and we will mail the gift package to you as soon as possible. Now, all the parents here at Thrive, may I have your attention please. We're so, so, so excited to share this great news with you that Thrive Kids Ministries is going to resume the in-person classes starting on Sunday, December 5th. If you have children aged 3 to 12, Thrive Kids is definitely a safe place where they can belong and grow in their relationship with God. I'm sure your kids will be so excited to see their friends and teachers once again and we can't wait to welcome them back. Please note that pre-registration is required. For more information and pre-registration, please visit mythrive.info and click Thrive Kids. We love being able to worship and pray with you in person whenever we can. That's why we're very excited to let you know that on Friday, December 3rd, from 8.30pm to 9.30pm, we'll be having a night of prayer and praise at Lafont Place right in front of the Aberdeen Skytrain Station. To pre-register, simply visit mythrive.info and click Night of Prayer and Praise. Let's gather up and sing praises to God and to pray for our church and for our community. That is all for the announcements this week. Don't forget to give your tithes and offerings online at mythrive.info. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. We look forward to seeing you again next Sunday here at Thrive Church online at 9.30am and 11.30am. Stay blessed.